Well, uh, we have put off this episode for some time. Just because, you know, I was dealing with stuff related to the new baby. Um, yeah. And Norm died. Which kind of like Colton. Actually, this is what I wanted to bring up. And hopefully, are you recording? Yeah. Hopefully this makes it into the episode. So I've been, the last couple days, I've just been going all over all of the tributes to Norm online. Yeah. So I heard like Howard Stearns and Artie Langs and Conan did like a 90 minute podcast with Andy Richter about it. And it was great. Oh, wow. um, Bob Saget's is like 40 minute cry fest. It's gut wrenching. Um, but I got to this guy. Have you ever heard of Rich Eisen? It sounds familiar, but well, no. he's, he's an ESPN guy. He's okay. not a comedian. He's an ESPN guy, but he gets a lot of comics on his show to talk sports, and Norm was a humongous sports fan. So yeah. as I'm going through the tributes, it had, like, Rich Eisen reacts to Norm McDonald's passing, and it says, I'm crestfallen. And it reminded me of this bit that Norm had where he was, it was like uh, they're at the, uh, the, the Hindenburg disaster, and the guy yells, Oh, the humanity! And Norm turns to him and goes, the humanity? How long have you had that in your back pocket for? <laughs> talk like that. Like, I'm crestfallen. Kind of the same way. <laughs> just a, just well, a way to make it, make it have some fun with, uh, you know. It reminds me of, do you remember when, back when I was in university, I was kind of bored of studying material. So I'm like, I want to start writing again. And so I sent you an article I wrote. I wanted to, like, just write for fun. Maybe I was going to start a blog. And it was, you know, eventually one that was going to turn into when we tried our old podcast, the opening tracks. Uh, it was yeah. either opening tracks or debut albums, whatever it was. But uh, and I used the word ethos and you're like, who are you? Who uses the word ethos? I'm like, that's not even that complex a word. I'm not an idiot. I know what ethos means. Like, I'm like, just because I don't throw around these ten dollar words all the time doesn't mean I don't have them in my pocket. I remember the biggest one that I teased you about was, uh, I think you oh, just... Don't even bring that up. Don't, don't even, even bring, bring that up? up. I know where you're going with this. Can I don't bring it up? Bring it Are you going to get mad at me if I do? Let me say it. You say it, okay. <laughs> I know where he's going with this. Uh, I watched the movie Her with Joaquin Phoenix and uh, where he falls in love with his phone. And I don't know why. Maybe I was in a mood. Maybe I was tired. Maybe I was turning pretentious because that's what happens to you in university i don't know but i used the word whimsical to describe that movie and i was just i haven't even got back and watched it since and i was actually telling my mom about it because uh i was i was visiting last week and uh they were watching big bang and raj falls in love with his phone and he's trying to like date the siri app and i was telling her about her and my mom's like, what the hell's wrong with this guy? <laughs> hey, it was and, voiced yeah. by Scarlett Johansson. It's very easy to fall in love with that voice. Oh, I know, but I'm just saying. I was like, yeah, for some reason I used a weird word to describe whimsical. To, that movie's not even whimsical. Said, I don't think you said whimsical. I think you said whimsy. Whatever. It had laughs. It had whimsy. It was something like that. I was like, whatever. Lots of whimsy in that movie, Brian. You didn't like that. Whatever. I, I came off like an ass. And uh, that's why I don't write... You didn't come off like an ass. You didn't come off like an ass. It's just, it was just a, a, an odd choice of words. Yes. Yeah. That's all it was. All right. Here's an odd choice of words. 
Suck my butt. <laughs> well, you know, there's nothing worse than having a big delay in between episodes than when you're doing a two-parter, like we did on April Wine. Because it feels like ages ago that we put out part one. So hopefully, yeah. you, you take a little time, you'll go back and listen to part one, uh, and uh, you'll hear all those great hits from the 70s, because we are about to enter... 80s territory here with April Wine. So are you ready for this one, Brian? Honestly, I've, I think there's a reason why we put it off and put it off. Because as the albums went on, I got less and less excited. <laughs> <laughs> you know, for me, this, the back half of the catalog is hit and miss. There yeah. are some hits. There are some misses. Yeah. Um, I think there was at least one album where I did the classic... Uh, me fed up halfway through going, I get it, and just yeah. moved on. I think there was at least one, but uh, we'll get to that. But let's uh, pick up where we left off, shall we? After okay. finding international success and releasing eight albums in the 70s, April Wine war- roared, there it is, roared into the <laughs> 80s with the release of The Nature of the Beast on January 12th, 1981. Miles Goodwin would co-produce this one with Mike Stone, uh, who would work very close with Queen and Journey throughout the 70s and 80s. In fact, Stone was so tight with Queen that when he passed away in 2000, Brian May read the eulogy at his funeral. He said, Mike's production style of big choruses, building and hitting hard, the ability to treat vocals uniquely and find space in a recording to have influenced a generation of young producers. So that's pretty high praise coming from a pretty... A guy with a lot of clout. Yeah. The album was recorded at Les Manoir Studios in Oxfordshire, England. I did a French accent and I didn't really have to. <laughs> at the conclusion of April Wine's 1980 European tour. And uh, if you're paying attention to chart performances, uh, this would be the peak of the band's commercial success. It would become their first and only album to reach platinum status in the U.S., it got to number 26 on the U.S. charts. And, of course, in Canada, it sold like gangbusters, reaching number 11 on the charts and achieving double platinum status. Only two singles would be released from this album, uh, but they happened to be two of April Wine's biggest hits. You had the hard rockin' Sign of the Gypsy Queen. Shadows moving without a sound From the hole of the sleepless town Evil seems to be everywhere the spirit that brought despair Trouble's coming without control No one's staying that's got a which is actually a cover of a song by Saskatchewan singer-songwriter Lawrence Hudd. It was a minor hit for him back in 1973. But uh, <laughs> that's a great tune, Sign of the Gypsy Queen. Oh, yeah. Very Halloween-y. Oh, 100%. Yeah, there's not a whole lot of Halloween-y tunes on, uh, the, the, on, the, on the spectrum, so you need to applaud the ones that are there. I don't know. When I was hosting a radio show at uh, Windsor, I did a whole hour-and-a-half set about uh, Halloween-type songs. Well, I worked at a party store, Brian. 
Uh, it wasn't during, all just the monster, monster mash uh, either. I was going to say, I worked at a poor party <laughs> store in high school um, during the Halloween season, and we got very sick of their Halloween playlist. It was the same songs over and over again. Actually, have you ever seen the show uh, Superstore? I've heard of it. I know Mark it's on McKinney. Netflix, right? It's on Netflix. Uh, it's 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 great. It's hilarious. It's, 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 I, I really like that show. Um, but they have well, their Halloween episode. They address how there's a lack of Halloween songs because they keep playing this song called Halloween Surfboard, which is about Dracula, the <laughs> Wolfman, going surfing. And they play it all over and over again. It just drives them nuts. So That's funny. We need more signs of the D- Gypsy Queen so we can have less Halloween surfboard. See if you can find that Halloween surfboard and insert it right here. It was a Halloween surfboard. It was a Halloween surfboard. It was a Halloween surfboard. <laughs> there you go. Dracula putting on his moon tan lotion. Because, of course, well, the sun would kill if him. you, If you and the missus go to a Halloween party, take a break from the baby for a night, I'll send you a nice Halloween playlist. Hey, there we go. It'll probably be us playing it in the house with the baby <laughs> as I hand out candy to whiny kids. Fair enough. That'll probably be where, where we get used for that. Uh, well, April Wine would have much more success with uh, the next two. They're... Oh, wait. I read that wrong. <laughs> we have one more they single have, to go through, Num Nuts. They have more success with their version of Sign of the Gypsy Queen there than the go. original version written by Lawrence Hudd. There we go. Uh, the April Wine version would reach number 40 on the Canadian Hot 100 charts and make it all the way to number 19 on the American Top Rock charts. Um, in fact... Uh, this song was aired was aired on the first day of broadcast for MTV, and it would be featured on the second to last episode of Breaking Bad, the episode Granite State. That's where he's living alone in that cabin that Robert Forrester takes him to, and he's like, Mr. Begorium's Wonder Emporium, two copies. And then Robert Forrester goes, and that much into movies. You know what I'm talking about? You know, I still haven't seen... <laughs> How Breaking Bad ends. The oh, last episode. Sorry, that should have been a spoiler warning. <laughs> oh, I don't care. Every time, uh, for years, when we would watch Sunday football, somebody would inevitably bring up Breaking Bad, and I'd be like, whoa, man, spoilers. And they would all just dogpile on me, like, listen, fuckface, <laughs> it's been out for like 10 years. You had plenty of time. That's on you. We're spoiling it. I know how it ends. Don't, so don't you only care. have like two episodes to go to? No, the last episode I saw, actually, it was the... Because the last season was when I left for university. And yeah. so Malcolm and I, I mean, this wasn't the last time I'd seen Malcolm, but I, um, it was like a day before I left for school. We watched the first episode of the last season where he's like, magnets, bitch. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and then I, I went home and then got ready for school like to like pack my shit up the next day. So that was it. I'll tell you. Not much there. For, for someone, though, who has done that a couple of times, started on a show, and I got distracted. Because I did it my first pass through with Breaking Bad. And I had to watch that first episode like three times before I actually was able to coast on through the whole series. Uh, I, try, I, try, I watched like the first four episodes of Dexter and just never got around to watching the rest of the series. Um, I watched the first episode of The Wire. Never got around to watching the rest of the series. I think I actually gave you your DVDs of The Wire back. Um, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, so. Yeah, you had it for like a year and a half, and you're like, I still never finished it. Hold on, just gotta send a quick text. Well, while you send your quick text, I'm gonna ramble. Okay. So, Campbell, I've seen the, the first season of Wire, and it does, it's great. And then I, I've watched the second, uh, the first episode of the second season of The Wire, like, twice, and I just haven't been able to, like, you know, rumble past that blockade. And uh, Campbell keeps yelling at me. He's like, watch it. It's good. Ah, and then I watched the, back in the winter, I watched the first episode of The Expanse that he's always banging on us to get, get into. I couldn't get past it. It's so slow. I mean, it's very, like, really high production value. It's, it's well written. It's just very slow. Well, let me tell you about but, TV shows. The more people the more people tell me, you got to watch this show, Ted. You got the less interest I have. Oh, who do you think you're talking to? I'm <laughs> like, king of that. <laughs> we, I think we discussed this the other day. I think I might have border or not, not borderline personality disorder, oppositional defiant disorder, where like people say go left, I'm going right. You zag on it. That's what that's yeah. called. And uh, yeah, well, what was the other single? Get the other single April was one of the meccas of April Wine's catalog, just between you and me. That's a great song. Yeah. It would be an even bigger hit, reaching number 21 in the U.S., number 22 in Canada, and it, it was even a hit in the U.K. It got all the way up to number 52 there. So a modest hit, but a hit nonetheless. Uh, Just yeah. Between You and Me was also broadcast on the first day of MTV, but it aired earlier in the day than Sign of the Gypsy Queen, giving it the distinction of being the first ever Canadian video played on MTV. How about that? That's interesting. I would have preferred Sign of the Gypsy Queen, but oh well. I think the honor goes to the band, not so much the song. You know what I, I mean? <laughs> like, way to go, April Wine. You got in there. Yeah. Yeah. Right place, right time. Exactly. Now, the album uh, would receive widespread acclaim, uh, earning four-star reviews from the English music publications Music Week and Record Mirror. And I thought this album fucking rocked. What did you think yeah. of uh, the... Where's the title here? Oh, come the Nature on, of the Beast. You sound so unprofessional today. The Nature, the nature of the of Beast. The beast. I've said it twice. Um... <laughs> I loved it. I thought it picked up right from where the uh, the last album with like Roller and just like the really strong songs uh, where they left off, uh, and we like to get into the deep cuts. So oh, I, yeah. I really I like the little guitar and the synth on Future Tense, and I really like Crash and Burn. I also included um, all all of town. All of town, I really liked. And Bad Boys, with all of its wacky soloing. I really liked. Yeah. I added those. Um, I thought this is exactly what an 80s arena rock album should sound like. I thought uh, Miles Goodwin's vocals had never sounded better. This is like the peak of his singing. Yeah. And uh, as far as songs go, I wrote, there's not a gelding in the bunch. <laughs> there you go. You're not wrong. <laughs> all kind of well-working penises. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, 
Following a much-deserved 18-month hiatus, the 10th April Wine album, Power Play, was released in July of 1982. Now, they were moved recording to Les Studios in Marine Heights, Quebec. Now I can use a French accent because they're actually in Quebec. And once again, Goodwin and Stone manned the production. Two singles were released from this album. You had Tell Me Why... which was, of course, a Beatles cover from the Hard Taste Night soundtrack and one of their first major hits. Um, it reached number 46 on the Canadian charts. The big hit, though, was Enough is Enough, which made it yeah. to number eight on the Canadian top singles charts, number nine on the U.S. modern rock charts. And how about Q107, Toronto and Southern Ontario's premier classic rock station, the Mighty Q. It listed it at number 146 on its list of the greatest Canadian rock songs of all time. Can't you see that There you go. Now you got to remember those radio stations, they do these giant lists every single long weekend. So yeah. chances are that was just one of their, uh, hey, we're doing a big list this weekend uh, promotions. Uh, Power Play would sell very well, earning platinum status in Canada and reaching number 14 on the charts. And uh, it would actually remain on the Billboard charts in the U.S. for 20 weeks, pe- peaking at number 37. However, the uh, Ted, let's get your words out. However, the album failed to garner much in the way of critical success, with many seeing it as a step back from Nature of the Beast and Harder Faster. Now, Brian, I know this got lousy reviews, and you know me, usually I go along with the critics, but I had absolutely no problem with this album. Didn't rock as hard as Nature of the Beast, but it's quality release. I really liked If You See K. Um... Oh my God! If you see K, that sounds like F U C K. I'm just realizing that now that I said it out loud. That's hilarious. F U C K. F U C K. Wow. They wanted to say they said fuck without saying fuck. Uh, waiting on a miracle. Ain't got your love. And I even like the cover of uh, Tell Me Why. I even like that one. Uh, yeah. Here's I did have one gripe. One gripe with this album, uh, they covered uh, "Doing It Right" by the Powder yeah, Blues I was Band. Bring that up. The Powder Blues Band version should have been left alone. It's much superior. Yeah, yeah. What'd you think? Uh, no, you pretty much took the words. I liked all the same songs. It was uh, "Runners in the Night" was good. Uh, yeah, it's definitely a step back. Um, I'm curious what their inspiration for this was versus like the last couple, ah. just because they. They really took the foot off the gas a little bit. But, like, we can see with songs like Enough is Enough that they still had the... Miles still had the knack for the uh, the commercial, like the a good hook, you know what I mean? Absolutely. And, you know, big songs to get everyone singing along and things like that. So he had the knack. It just... Uh, I think... I don't know. Coming in at 43 minutes, like, a lot of their early albums were really, like, you know... High and tight, 35, 40 minutes. I think, like, and we see this 
wait till we get to attitude. I got some choice words to say about attitude, but uh, <laughs> I think, and I, again, this is also, we're going to come into a lot of their albums being a very sign of the times. Yeah, where that's it's true. just they're they're very blown out, very like some of the songs get very repetitive and they don't need to be, and so I think they could have shortened a couple songs, maybe kept it like kept it punchy and tight. But I mean, all in all, I've I've listened to this one a handful of times already, and I I uh, I think if I ever go into a want to go back down the April Wine rabbit hole. I'll uh, I'll pull this one up. Yeah, it had some good tunes on it. Like I said, yeah. it wasn't the best, but it's still quality. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to move on to 1984's Animal Grace. This album was again produced by Goodwin and Stone, and uh, the band recorded it during a period where they weren't getting along. They were at each other's throats. Um, in fact, things were so bad that Goodwin completely moved away from Canada and started his residency in the Bahamas at this time, just largely because he wanted to get away from the stress and get away from his bandmates. Um, Initial sales for this release in Canada and the U.S. were good, uh, as it would chart at number 62 down south and number 34 up here. However, the sales would not maintain, and the album failed to reach gold status, which... For an April Wine release, that was kind of a rare feat. You know, people are always chomping at the bit for when these guys put an album out. And uh, it's the first album actually since Electric Jewels not to achieve gold status. Only one single would be released from Animal Grace. That would be the opening track. This could be the right one. would reach number 58 on the American charts, uh, but it would unbelievably fail to chart in Canada. So nothing from this album charted up here. Um, a video was also shot for the song Sons of Pioneers, but that didn't make uh, any sort of impact. All right, Brian, have at it. What did you think <laughs> of Animal Grace? I, I really liked the first like four songs. We're good, and I really liked Rock Tonight. That was really yeah, one of the I had ones Rock that, that written down too. Yeah, that stood out for me. It just felt. <sighs> let me quote, just... let, let me see. Let's see if I get this. I'm gonna quote uh, the late Norm Macdonald. It's a bit of a yanner. <laughs> what do you think? Does that sum it up? Pretty much. That sums it up nicely. Like it just it, it had no teeth. It was just I was gonna call it lazy almost. Oh, okay. Well uh, you know what? They were fighting at that point. They might have just been let's just get this done with. Yeah. And yeah, there's there it just felt very passionless. It felt it didn't have that edge. And you know, this is when uh what year did this album come out? Eighty four. Yeah. We're starting to we're starting to really head into the 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 center of you know the hair metal the hard rock the glam metal all that stuff and so there's all these things that they could have taken as inspiration and it just uh that just well it it it, it i think it kind of shows it's it's so weird that so many bands when they are fighting and at each other's throats sometimes they'll produce some of the best yeah. music in the catalog 
Not the case for April Wine. No. <laughs> I said, uh, outside of the opening track, nothing special here. It's basically the same synth rock track over and over again. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. I liked Hard Rock Kid, but I thought that Hard Rock Kid and Rock Tonight was one continuous track until I looked and saw that the song had changed. Uh, Money Talks was another one I liked on this album. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. It's, it, I mean, I prefer ACDC's Money Talks, but still. Well, it's a different song. Wasn't a kind of. I'm just saying. But, uh, you know, it, when the band is not enjoying themselves, very rarely will the audience enjoy themselves. Unless it's, like, yeah. funny and, like, so bad it's good. I don't know. But, yeah, yeah. I, I was not having a good time with this album. I no. did suffer through the whole thing, though, I will say. Same. You know what it is? The reason why I'm putting myself through the torture of listening to an entire bad album is to... You're... Thank for that. You and your damn deep cuts. I want to just see <laughs> if there's any jewels lying at the bottom of the swamp floor <laughs> so I uh, put myself through the, the torture of uh, grinding out a bad album just to uh, keep up with you and the deep cuts so there you go realizing oh, I don't know if that's a you're welcoming <laughs> situation I mean not in this case but I mean when you listen to certain albums like I mean it doesn't have to be something we're doing for the podcast it could be anything you could listen to an album a hundred times and like you know I always stop it halfway through the album or whatever once i got to the songs i really like but this last track is it's a banger you know what i mean you know it's it's kind of funny that you mentioned that because um there's this a lot of like the hipster rags and stuff like that like pitchfork have come up with this whole thing now to, to truly measure what a great band is they have to have five great albums released consecutively and some of the pillars of rock and roll haven't even accomplished that. Yeah. Um, and I was looking at some of my favorite bands to see if they would have done it. Um, and, like, no, that's a hard feat to accomplish. Like, I was looking, okay, Sublime, my favorite band. You know, 40 Ounces to Freedom's a banger, but, like, Robin the Hood's just kind of like a bunch of tracks. And then, it's like odds and ends. Yeah, and then, like, uh, Self Titled's a banger, and then Brad dies. Yeah. So there's not even five albums for that. I was looking at Bare Naked Ladies. I was like, all right, Gordon's a banger. Eh, maybe You Should Drive's okay. You know, Born on a Pirate Ship's a little bit better. And then uh, Stunt's a banger. You know what I mean? Like, it's that's a hard way to do it. So even if you, yeah. it's, it's one of your favorite bands, um, there are going to be albums where it's just, I like a bunch of songs, but the album itself's nothing to write home about. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can, I can safely say less than Jake's done it. So I can five tap myself albums? on this track. <laughs> yes. And that doesn't include, obviously, B-sides or... No, I know they love their little, like, B-sides yeah, and covers EPs, albums. I'm not counting those. Five full-length Like, albums. I think... And actually, I you think, know what? April Wine, if we go back to that first list, they might have done yeah, it. I'll oh, have yeah. to go back and see. They might have done the five uh, quality releases in the 70s in a row. Oh, yeah, I'd say. So between the early the, the early 80s albums, the before, before this one, before yeah. this third... Uh, and some of the ones in the 70s. I think they hit five solid albums. So I think they're they're there. All right. Well, there you go, folks. When you go home, and, uh, when you're listening to this at home, uh, go ring up some of your favorite bands and see, do they have five quality releases in a row? If not, they're terrible. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> you know, I would love to see if, you know, the mighty, mighty Beatles that everyone splooges their friggin' trouser fronts on has actually done that or oh, like no. is well there's arguments so here's the thing too it also goes to like your threshold of what's a great album or not like for me for the yeah. Beatles hold on here 
I gotta bring up their discography like a chump. <laughs> Just give me a second. Alright, Beatles. The Beatles, English rock band. That's right, Wikipedia. Alright. You'll flip through this, or... There we go. Okay. Let me go back from front to back here. Alright. Let's see. Let it be... Uh, yellow. Yeah, see, that's the thing. Yellow Submarine breaks that up, because that's not that great. They get a white album. Uh, Alright, so I'd go Rubber Soul, Revolver, Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Uh, Magical Mystery Tour's got a lot of chuff on it, though. <laughs> and then the White Album's their best album, in my opinion. But uh, even there, right there, you're right. It is even hard to do with the Beatles because it depends what your threshold of <laughs> ratings. What are you playing? Oh, sorry. My thumb slipped. I was getting ready to look at the track list for Walking Through Fire. Oh, I accidentally okay. hit play. Well, if, if you're ready to do that, and I'm ready to do that, then by gum, let's say we do it. <laughs> Thanks, Norm. <laughs> Well, realizing that they weren't having much fun as a band anymore, the members of April Wine decided enough was enough, and they announced that they'd be breaking up with a farewell tour planned for 1985. And the tour proved to be very successful, and to commemorate it, they'd release another live album called One More for the Road. Miles Goodwin had flown back to the Bahamas to be begin recording his first solo album and to officially start his post-April Wine life when he received a call from the brass at Aquarius Records. They informed him that the band still owed the label one more album, even though they were broken up. Contractually obligated to do so, Goodwin began assembling songs for one of the most phoned-in albums of all time, <laughs> Walking Through Fire. Guitarist Brian Greenway would fly to the Bahamas for the recording session, but the rest of the lineup was filled with Montreal-based session musicians as they were cheaper than the other members of the band. Goodwin would write only five of the ten tracks. The other songs were contributed by Canadian songwriters Jim Valance and Eddie Schwartz. And how about this, Brian? Katrina and the Waves members, Kimberly Rue and Vince De La Cruz, they penned the opening track for this album, Rock Myself to Sleep, uh, which would be released as a single and would chart. And now that you think about it, that does really have that kind of yeah. Katrina and the Waves uh, positivity oh, yeah. about it. Yeah. Love Has Remembered Me would be the only single to appear in the Canadian charts. number 89 and the album itself wouldn't even chart in Canada it reached only 100 excuse me okay so it would reach 174 in the US wouldn't chart in Canada in fact I think they forgot to give it a Canadian release because it was released in 1986 not 1985 like it was in the US um, it's considered by most fans to be one of April Wine's weakest releases although the British publication Kerrang! did give it 4.5 out of 5 star review so someone liked it Brian what did you think? Well, let me tell you something there, Ted. I'd rather walk through fire than listen to this album again. It stunk. Walk through fire. <laughs> well, what what was so bad about it? I don't know. I mean, you said it. 
phoned in. It's boring. Not much there. I oh. mean, there's like there are a couple of decent songs. Like uh, like the single was good. I I liked what's it called? Uh, Andrew. I like that one. Um. Not much to say. I just took the wind out of my sails. Well, how about to this? Quote Dougie Heffernan, it's a stinkeroo. Well, how about uh, me pulling a page out of the Brian Last playbook and zagging on him? I like this album. Yeah? Yeah, I enjoyed it more than Animal Grace. In fact, well, I, like, much. I liked every song on this album. Some of the songwriting is a little bit rudimentary. There's a big word. <laughs> but it felt like I liked the big synth lines. I like the overall upbeat tone of the things. Uh, critics be damned. I like this album. I think because they were phoning it in and they just were like, let's just get this done with. They kind of made something very poppy and very accessible. And when you're listening to it, not knowing the backstory, it's upbeat. It feels good. Yeah. I don't know. I, 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 it, it doesn't feel like the 70s April Wine at all. But no. listening to it on its own, I've got no problem with this album. You know, I don't understand. Like, I, I understand that uh, labels, you know, you have a contract. Uh-huh. You have to give us one more album. But, like, unless it says in the contract, like, you know, I can give you an album in 1999. I don't have to do it this fucking second. Like, get off my ass. Unless, and, unless they have, like, a timetable where you have to deliver by such and such a date. But that's also... The thing is, that's you can't also the- rush art. You know what I mean? Sometimes I, I, it takes people to like make time, make decent albums. I get that, but when you're a band and you do break up, the albums, the, the label's not going to hold your spot until 1999 when you decide to get back together. You know what I mean? Or if you're going to be just like, eh, we're working on it, they want results, and in that case, they would drop you, and you might end up owing them money, which is not something yeah. that you want to do. So it's better to turn out a steam and turd that this album was in the eyes of some, not me. Then, um, you know, just, uh, what's it called? Just, uh, you know, go against your contract. I love uh, what Streetlight tried to do to get out of their contract. Yeah, they just released they cover. literally. Yeah, they re-released uh, Keys Be Nights, right? No, no, they, oh. uh, they, they took their third album, and Thomas basically did it as a solo acoustic album, and yeah. they just, like, uh, and they basically just turned that back in, and they're like, no, 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 this doesn't count. <laughs> <laughs> hey, people have found ways to get around it, but sometimes I've heard yeah. that like, the solo album will work, you know what I mean? Like, okay, yeah. you know, you're, 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 the, you're a big name on your own there, Miles Goodwin, this will uh, suffice, but yeah. um, not all the time, and it didn't yeah. uh, for April Wine, but I don't know. I thought uh, Animal Grace was a lot better than the uh It was okay. Than, than it was just, I don't said. know, I, I don't see myself going... I don't know. Maybe, maybe once fair. the dust, maybe once the dust settles, I'll go back to it. But, I was going to uh, say I was a little bit surprised because you love the cheesy '80s synth pop. <laughs> you do, and so I, I thought I think, this would be a little more up your alley. I also think I didn't uh, pay as much because I kept going back to a couple of those early ones like Power Play and uh, uh, Nature of the Beast a lot. So yeah. I think maybe I didn't pay enough attention to this one. Maybe I'll. Maybe I'll eat some crow on Jack's hole between the two episodes, and I'll uh, maybe I'll I'll recant or maybe I'll double down. I don't know. We'll see. All right. Well, 
1988, Miles Goodwin would finally release his much-anticipated solo album. He co-produced it along with Lance Quinn, and he'd release a pair of singles from it, including My Girl, which is also known as Sonya on some releases. I have no idea why they have two titles. And uh, Do You Know What I Mean? A cover of the 1971 Lee Michaels song. Goodwin's version would also feature Canadian singer Lee Aaron, who's known as Canada's Metal Queen, and uh, would feature at number 47 on the chart. So it did uh, did pretty good. Uh, did you get a chance to listen to his solo release? I think you got cut out there. I think there was a thing. You oh. said something I couldn't hear you. No, I just said, nah. Okay. Yeah, I didn't get the chance to <laughs> Yeah. Some, you know, we pride ourselves on being pretty thorough with these episodes, but every now and then you see something in the script. Oh, shit. Yeah, I forgot about that one. <laughs> no, I stick to April Wine. I don't go off solo stuff. Well, that's fair. That's fair. Sometimes I'll give give a uh, solo album a listen, but sometimes when you got I mean, a two-part episode, to, uh, it's, a, it's a tall order. I would have listened to the Doug solo album if I could find it, because he's yeah. got... But like that Gotta Be Monday song was great. That was a great tune. Yeah. But we'll uh, stay on track here with April Wine. Because even though they were broken up, uh, rock bands are just like comic book characters. Brian, no one ever truly stays dead. In 1988, when Miles Goodwin elected to move back to Canada from the Bahamas, rumors began circulating that April Wine was going to reform... This was an urge the former members largely resisted until 1992, when a new lineup returned to the stage for a free concert in, of all places, Portage La Prairie, Manitoba. All the (laughs) the big uh, metropolises in Canada, they chose Portage La Prairie. Because everyone knows, Ted, that's where all the tastemakers are. Home of the uh, junior hockey team, the Portage La Prairie Terriers. My time out in Dauphin, so I knew a little, a thing or two about wow. the Prairie. I think that's all. At home of uh, Propagandi, they're yeah. from uh, Portage the Prairie. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, uh, see, new- right there, uh, living, growing up in Portage the Prairie makes you so angry. <laughs> <laughs> the new lineup consisted of, of course, Miles Goodwin and Brian Greenway, as those two didn't hate each other like the rest of the band did. <laughs> uh, they also brought back old Jim Clench, who hadn't played with April Wine since 1975, on the bass. And uh, Jerry Mercer was on drums for this release, and newcomer Steve Seagal, not Steven Seagal, just Steve <laughs> Seagal, uh, he took up the third guitar duties after some touring in the U.S. and Canada. They were ready to release a brand new album. Attitude was released in October of 1993, and it was produced by Goodwin and George Lagios, who also played keyboards on several tracks. The cover of the album featured a a no-good punk kid looking at the camera with anger in his eyes. And that kid was actually played by uh, Goodwin's son. So uh, he gave birth to a little troublemaker there. Absence made the heart grow fonder in Canada as Attitude would achieve gold status and reached number 19 on the charts. And after a couple of releases with maybe two singles, maybe just one single, a whopping four singles came from this album. You add Here's Looking At You, Kid. I said frickin' rocks. 
That made it to number 80. That's Love. Big fan of that one. Super upbeat. Topped out at number 73. Voice in My Heart made it to number 35. There's a voice in my heart Calling out your name I don't want to wait forever And if you believe in me, proved to be the biggest hit from Attitude. If you believe in me made it to number 19 um, and I thought that was a great ballad and it reminded me of some prime April wine all right Brian I, 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 let me get my stuff in here because I know you have thoughts on this album yeah okay so let me get my stuff in all right. I thought this was quality arena rock it showed that despite the absence April wine hadn't lost a step my biggest complaint though is that this album is really overinflated and uh, it's overly long. It has quite a bit of, as we say, chuffa. Chuffa. There's a lot yeah. of chuffa on here. Uh, but some of my deep uh, deep cuts outside of the singles, I like giving it, taking it. It's It hurts and uh, can't take another night. Those are good tunes. So I'm going to give you room to maneuver. Brian's thoughts okay. on Attitude. The songs are fine. Like, I actually enjoyed listening to it. But, like, from a musical landscape perfection... It's dated. It's 1993. They're still stuck in the 80s with, like, hair metal and shit. Like, we're in the era of, like, grunge and, like, heavier shit. And they're just, like, you know, I mean, there's that joke in How I Met Your Mother where they're, like, uh, I told you about where Robin Sparkles goes to Robin Daggers and becomes grunge. I've told oh, you about that. Oh, they episode. do, like, a Lance Morissette thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're, like, uh, uh, they're, like, that's the day that grunge is born. And Ted's like, yeah, in 1996, in Canada. Okay. And then they get uh, Rush, uh, they get Getty Lee, like, that's the day Grunge was born. And then Marshall's like, oh, that's a bummer, because <laughs> he's a music guy. Oh, okay. But um, but that's the thing. It's like, are we are we behind up here that we're, like, not staying true to the musical trends? And plus, like you said, too much chuffa. They were they were, uh, now that they were releasing stuff on CD and not vinyl, they felt the need to fill the damn thing at like fifty three minutes. <laughs> yeah, they really like, did. <laughs> like take out some of the obnoxiously long solos. Like you don't need to repeat the chorus. We get it. Some of those ones, it's just like tighten it up. Well, when you're doing a reunion album like this, listen to some Archie Bell and the Drills and tighten up. <laughs> <laughs> when you're doing a reunion album like this, though. Do you not feel like you owe it to your fans to give them something that's somewhat familiar? Because if they went came out in plaid and uh, shorts with <laughs> long johns under, they look like such posers. No, no, I'm not. I'm not saying they had to do a grunge album, but what I'm saying is, it's like, like you take the influences and kind of roll with it, but like they they trend they followed the trends early, like. They were staying very timely. They rolled yeah. in from the 70s into the early 80s fine. 
They, you know, they kept sliding into the mid 80s with the arena rock sound fine. It just, you know, it's like maybe all that time in the Bahamas, Miles Goodwin lost track of what was like happening at the time. Well, that's a good point because there's a long absence and they didn't really have, they, they turned those albums out at such a consistent rate in the 70s. They were yeah. able to stay on top of the current trends without it being too jarring of a transition. Here, yeah. there, there's a huge absence in between releases. Yeah. And they want to give their fans something that sounded like April wine, the April wine they knew and they loved. So I, guess. I don't have any problem with it not sounding like 1993, because I think if it were to sound more of the songs at the time, you're, it's either going to be AM radio schlock yeah. or it's going to be grunge, because those were the rock things that were happening at the time. So, I mean, you can make something heavier and not like some, you could walk some line of like pre-grunge, uh arena rock kind of thing because i mean a lot of those bands like poison and those guys were still doing it and making like you know multi-platinum albums like they weren't changing their sound but they were just you know kind of rolling with it and they were just doing it better i think that was my thing is they were just and that's, just and that's a fair criticism like they could have they could have um it could have been maybe less hokey is that what you're trying to say like it's a little yeah. cheesy yeah and, th- and that could be it because cheese didn't play well in 1993 yeah. Um, but at the same time, you look like look, and I know you've you've met people like this. There are people today that have not gotten over the hair metal craze, that are oh, still know. basking in 1987 or whatever. You look know at what I Billy mean? Ball game there. He loves that shit. <laughs> there you go. So I think that they were they 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 thought young people be damned. This is for April Wine fans, and yeah, it's all really long. And yeah, they could have trimmed it down. But I'll tell you, one thing that old hair metal fans love is a long-ass guitar solo. <laughs> and they were just trying to give... I think they were just trying to give the fans what they wanted. And yeah. maybe they were taking too broad of an approach to that. Does that make sense? That's possible. Yeah. Yeah. So, there you go. I thought this was pretty good. A little bit overinflated. Brian, thumbs down. <laughs> I'm like, thumbs in the middle. Because the middle, that's the thing. Okay. This, the songs were enjoyable. I'm just like... I'm like... Ah, it felt like so recycled. Yeah. Because, like, you know, they were eight years behind the times. But Well, I think to get with the times, they attempted to do what they did in the 70s, and that's get right back into the studio and yeah. release another album as soon as they possibly could, and that would be Frigate, which was released in August of 1994, and again, Miles Goodwin would produce it. Uh, they mixed in a few covers on this album. Uh, I Just Want to Make Love to You by Willie Dixon. I'm a Man by Steve Winwood, and for some reason they decided to cover their own song because a redo of <laughs> Tonight is a Wonderful Time appears on here for some reason. No idea why. Uh, the album would showcase the final three singles to be released by the man to date. Um, unfortunately, though, I'm a man driving with my eyes closed, and if I was a stranger, all failed to chart. Should I start or would you like to start? You go ahead. This is April Wine's worst album. Not even close. <laughs> Not even close. I didn't have that much to say about it. I wrote uninspired. Just sounds like they were going through the motions on every song. Yeah. Nothing on here that's truly terrible, but nothing on here that jumps off the page. And Brian, this is the album that I did quit on. This yeah. is the one. This is the one where I was just like, ah, that's enough. I get it. Yeah. By the time I got to their... their new version of Tonight is a Wonderful Time. I'm like, the hell is this? <laughs> well, why, why redo that? 
That is your signature song. It's a classic. All yeah. that tells me is that they didn't have enough shit for a new album. Yep. And so don't put one out. <laughs> Wait yeah. until you have enough stuff. But yeah. no, they want to get back on that pace. You know what I mean? <sighs> yeah, that was a bad album. <laughs> <laughs> well, Frigate Frig- basically... Go ahead. Frigate. More like forget. <laughs> oh, I love it. It's, frig- it's, it's early. I didn't sleep frig- well. F-R-I-G-A-T-E. Apparently the proper pronunciation, because it's a naval ship, yeah, is frigate. Frigate. Yeah. I think it was pretty frigate bad. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Don't you? I say frigate, let's just move on. There you go. <laughs> well, April Wine, because of that flop, they'd stay quiet for almost the next decade. till 2001, when they released the album Back to the Mansion. And Goodwin would produce this one, and promotion would be kept very quiet. Um, there would be no singles. The album didn't chart. It was pretty slow Joe Crow. Uh, they would recruit uh, Barry Stock of the band Three Days Grace, and uh, would feature him as sort of an unofficial member on this release. He contributed guitar, and even co-wrote the song Looking for a Place We've Never Been. And the album actually closes with a cover of Paul Simon's I Am A Rock. I think the idea to put this album out with no promotion and no singles was a smart idea. Because they were just going to be a band out of time if they were to do what they did in 1993. Uh, and I liked this album. I thought it was fun. What'd you think? It was okay. When yeah. year did this come out? 2001. Yeah, it, it felt like they were working on it for years because everything felt very, like, 90s. Yeah, so I could have said, all right, we finally got the 90s. Here it is. What year it is? What year is it? 2001. Ah, shit. <laughs> <laughs> Do me a favor and don't promote this one. Give me one second. You're going out? Yeah. There's a yard sale down the street. Oh, okay. Have fun. Yeah. It's like two houses down. All right. We'll see you in a bit. Yeah, I'll be back in like two minutes. Cool. Yeah, so that might have been the uh, the, the, the reason there. Uh, but I don't know. I had fun with it. Uh, they definitely weren't chasing any trends on this album. Still feels very 80s. Uh, no real trace of modern rock. They didn't do an attempt at new metal, thank God. Um, <laughs> clear standout for me here, though, is the song, I Wish I Could Sing. I wish I could sing I wouldn't want to lose your love I wouldn't want to lose the way I feel for you um, I thought it was a great song and I loved how it referenced their classic hits so I really liked that one mm. Alright, we're down to the final album and boy, in record time, too. We haven't even been doing this for an hour. <laughs> You're going to have to pad this out with a lot of clips, Brian. Yeah, I mean, this is the thing. People have said, like, well, by people, I mean your brother has said, you know, we get too sidetracked all the time. And <laughs> here's what happens I'll, when we're focused. Yes. Well, not only that, I mean, <laughs> when the albums aren't that impressive, we don't have a lot to say. And we don't want to keep just bagging 
bagging on it because, you know, we, like we've said, we're like Kevin Smith when he turned into a stoner. We like to like things. Yes. We don't want to just go out of our way to shit on it. Yeah. So it's like Roger Ebert in his last, like, five to seven years. He, he became much less of a harsher critic. I mean, he was always fair ball compared to Siskel, but uh, he always, like, tried to find little gems even in the biggest turd of a movie. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. And I don't think that we're phoning in. I think part of it has to do with the fact that we're doing this so far after listening yeah. to all these albums. So our, our hot takes have kind of cooled a little bit. So I think this week's episode is also a victim of when we're recording it. So No, I mean, also, I mean, look at uh, as we... As we liked the albums less and less, we spent less time talking about it. Like, we spent a good chunk of time talking about that first one and the second one. And then gradually it's like, "Eh, it's not even worthy of my time. Let's move on. (laughs) Well, let's uh, maybe put on the stopwatch here, Brian. Let's see how long it takes us to get through Roughly Speaking, which was released on November 28th, 2006. And to date is the final April Wine release. Miles Goodwin decided to take an old-school approach with this release. It was recorded without computerized modern digital recording techniques. Instead, the group employed the same type of audiophile quality analog recording technology that it used during the 80s, including... Now, I have no idea what this means. This is all Greek to me, but some nerd (laughs) will probably get it. A 2-inch, 24-track master tape recorder and a state-of-the-art half-inch, 2-track stereo recorder. Hey, hey! Listen, Dum Dum. the big leagues here. Just because you were you fell asleep and were hung over to Miss Bill Boland's production tech class, all this means is they they just recorded it live. There was no fancy editing to save them. There was like what you heard is what you got, or is what they took. There is no. It's like uh, when the Foo Fighters recorded back and forth. Uh, I think that was it. No, sorry, that was the documentary. Um, Wasting Light, when they recorded Wasting Light. It's a great album. And they did it in Dave Grohl's house on a 24-track recorder. Same thing, analog tape. So they could, you know, if someone fucked up the drums or if one of them fucked up the guitars, they're like, do it till you get it right. And, uh, and that was it. Well, you summed it up much better than I did. So all the audio files out there are probably like, thank you, thank you. <laughs> Don't fuck yourself, Ted. <laughs> Members of the band, along with uh, some other music fans, believe that such equipment can provide a much more musically pleasing or vintage-type sound. So you know what? I should have read the last sentence of what I wrote before I started acting like an asshole. (laughs) Uh, This does feature a cover on it, uh, the Willie Nelson song, Nightlife. And um, I personally thought this experiment that they did with that old recording technology completely paid off. Oh, yeah. Uh, It's a fun little blues gem. It's very blues-based. It's only eight tracks. Clocks in at a very speedy 24 minutes. Not a whole lot of chuffa here, Brian. No. uh, But definitely feels more like an EP than a full-length release. Yeah. Yeah. It Uh, definitely... uh, Sorry. Did you want to finish something? Well, I just was going to say I really like Goodwin's vocals on this album. He yeah. changed the way he sang. He pulled the vocals back a little bit. And uh, I thought it was perfect. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, like you said, there's a bit of blues. Uh, there's the, the last song at the end. Uh, what's it called? If, you, if you're if you coming. 
Uh, that's kind of more folksy. And then there's a song right in the middle. I forget what it's called. I'm just going to double check. Um, I think it's Nightlife. No. Uh, what is it? Oh, it's you don't even know. It has a very like yeah. Huey Lewis kind of vibe to you it. You don't even know it's one of my favorite songs. So, yeah. So again, I, this is a nice return to form because uh, it's not overly produced. It's very low key. It's um, singing was good. Instrumentation was tight. It's just the only problem is like there's these nice little ditties, but they just needed that one big punch to kind of. Bring them back to notoriety, I think, to have like get them back on the charts. But uh, that's all they were lacking. I feel like maybe he lost his gift for the hooks because it's definitely he had his, his gift of good songwriting was back, but it's just that you know that big commercial pop appeal was maybe it evaded him during but, this. But but then again, you know, when you're when you're going out of way to use these old recording techniques to kind of appease those old school fans, I don't think there was any plans for this to ever be commercial. I think this was just a, hey, here's a little gift for all you people that have stuck with us all these years. Something to yeah. enjoy. And it's, it's a cool hidden gem because not a lot, yeah. a lot of people know about this album. And it, even if you're not an April Wine fan, I recommend it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Now, we uh, recanted in our first episode that despite 11 nominations, April Wine never won a Juno. And... Um, that's unfortunate. And you know what? Uh, we've got our thoughts on the Juno Awards. What are you talking about? Re- recanted means you take it back. I'm not recounting. Oh, wow. How about looking back on our, <laughs> our episode? Does that work a little bit better? There yes. it is. My apologies. Well, I'm not taking shit back. The Junos did do April Wine Dirty back in the day. 11 <laughs> nominations, zero wins. I would say that is doing it dirty. However... They're still one of our country's greatest bands, and that has not gone unnoticed. Miles Goodwin received a Lifetime Achievement Award from the East Coast Music Awards in 2003. The band was inducted into the Canadian Music Industry Hall of Fame in 2009, and was finally recognized with induction into the Canadian Music Hall of Fame in 2010. So they finally got their just desserts, even though the Juno Academy didn't give them shit. (laughs) <laughs> now, Goodwin does continue to tour Canada with um, an ever-evolving lineup of guys for April Wine. Yeah. Uh, however, I should say an RIP to members Jim Clinch and Steve Lang, both basemen who have both died. So, hmm. RIP to those two guys. And uh, I am I think the big question at the end of this, because we know they had much more success outside of Canada than we were led to believe when I put this episode on our schedule... Yeah. Why do you think that isn't lasting outside of Canada? Like, why do you think, like, when you watch, like, an old infomercial about hits from the 70s, it's not chock-loaded with April wine? I think it's one of those things, uh, you know, music was getting very global at that time. Okay. And, you know, we were in the British invasion. Had so, like, look at, you know, 70s, you think, you know, 60s and 70s, you think. Zeppelin... The Who, uh, that, then uh, you know, it, uh, with the metal, you got like Ozzy, because he's yeah, he's English. Yeah, he's English. Um, it's hard to tell sure. what accent he is now. Because it's hard to detect anything he's even saying now. But yeah, he's, he's yeah, English. Yeah, and I'm sure there's tons of other bands from that era that came from England that I'm just like losing track of. But uh, I just I think they just got lost in the 
music was just taking on to a whole other level by the 70s and 80s, especially with like the hair metal scene, the arena rock, you know, yeah. Queen. There's another one from Britain they, that came over. They kept uh, up pretty good though with the at least the early 80s. And yeah. even into the late 80s, it was just I think you remember the movie Moneyball? Yeah. Where at the beginning, the scouts are talking to his family, and he's like, uh, "We all get told at one point or another when we need to, uh, when we're men, and we need to stop playing a children's game." He's like, yeah. "Some of us are eighteen, some of us are forty-five. I think that you know, April Wine did get the call that it was time to be, you know, maybe not go on the road as a rock and roll band, but." They got told a lot later than most bands, and yeah, like they, twenty years of solid work under their belt before they eventually broke up for the first time, and being able to continue that for the hardcore fans—that's a big thing. Well, that's the other thing too. Is uh, you know, Rush. I feel like you know they were just so different that they kind of caught this wave of uh, respect, and their musicianship was so different, and uh, you know they just had a whole other thing going. Whereas yeah. April, April Wine kind of fell in the more contemporary mainstream. So it's uh, it, to really try to rise above, to have that cream to rise to the top, it's, uh, it, they really had to do something special, which they did on some of those albums. And Absolutely. that's why some of those ones got so much notoriety. Yeah. But uh, I think they just got winded. They couldn't keep up the marathon with some of these other bands. and Because, you know, that's the other thing. They're keeping up, and then you get these bands like, you know, you know, Guns N' Roses, Motley Crue, Poison, Whitesnake. I mean, I know they weren't doing the exact same thing, but they were just young and energetic, and the music scene was changing. And then the, what they were doing was, it's like the Grandpa Simpson quote. What was hip? Uh, <laughs> I wasn't with, and what was new was scary to me, and whatever. It's like, it'll happen to you. Uh, so I don't know. Maybe it was something like that, where like they were trying to maybe hold on to the 70s too much, and then like when they did do the Arena Rock, some of it worked, some of it didn't, and then... That some other some kids came along and just did it better and took the world by storm. Well, I'm totally game if they want to put out another, um, like roughly speaking, bluesy. Yeah. Oh yeah. I think that'd be awesome. I'd love to hear that. That's the thing. uh, We kind of talked about it on the Trouble Charger episode that when you get older, you kind of need to start reverting to music that's a little bit more your age. Yeah. Yeah. So hopefully, I don't know. I'd like to hear. I don't know, maybe they'll just though. become an Eagles cover band or something. I don't know. I think well, they do quite a bit of covers on their, on their uh, channel. Or just list, like so. keep doing the dad rock thing. When did <laughs> Roughly Speaking come out? Roughly Speaking came out in 2006. See, that's a shame because if they had kept up doing stuff like that for the next couple of years, mm-hmm. they could have caught that wave of like the the new folk kind of shit. And yeah. Really, yeah. kind of fallen into that crest, but I don't know. It's uh, fortunately they kind of well, gave they, up. They, they could have gotten super bluesy and gone on the jam band circuit. Yeah, you know, <laughs> who knows? But who uh, knows? The, those hippies could have loved them at Bonnaroo. But there's a big thing too with the with the with the. Well, and I I love jam bands. I think jam bands are great. Uh, there's a big thing too with like respecting your elders in the jam band circuit. So yeah. like a band like April Wine could just show up, not alter their hits, just play their hits, and people would freaking love it. Yeah, you know, or like, even like uh, play their hits, but maybe try to put a little live tinge to it. Try to like mix yeah. it up a bit live. Well, just do a really, really long solo. <laughs> you know, like like uh, for example, like a government mule, who for me is the cream of the crop when it comes to jam bands. Um, they do a Halloween show every year, and they always play Houses of the Holy, just front to center, not front to back. That's just their oh, that's their, cool. their their whole thing. 
Um, and people love it because it's a great jam band, but they're paying respect to one of the best albums of all time. If yeah. April Wine were to kind of hit that like Bonnaroo circuit and just play the hits, I, don't, I know in Canada they'd love it for whatever equivalent we have up here, but we'd see if they'd love it in the States. You know? I mean, I think if they played songs like Roller and some of the ones that where they could really riff and solo and do a whole thing, uh, then I think they would win over a Bonnaroo crowd of younger kids. We'll see. Actually, it's kind of funny that you mentioned older bands trying to win over kids. Because tonight in Thunder Bay, we actually kind of have a good example of that. So there's a show going on in Thunder Bay tonight called uh, the Wake the Giant Music Festival. And uh, it's a big show that's put on every year. It promotes uh, you know, inclusivity and indigenous culture. So there's going to be a lot of stuff like that. Uh, like a lot of... Um, they call it jingle dress dances, where you wear the dress with the bells all over it and okay. do stuff like some cool traditional stuff. Um, but they've got a whole bunch of young talents. So people like, um, oh, God, Jesse Reyes and Loud Luxury, yeah. who we've talked about before on the show. Um, but the headliner of the night is Third Eye Blind. Ah. Um, and I asked um, one of the organizers today, because he works with this school, which uh, Dennis Franklin Cromartie High School here in Thunder Bay is where uh, teenagers from all of the northern um, indigenous communities like far north come to go to high school, to go to high school in the city. Um, and it's to kind of you know give them something fun to welcome them back to the city yeah. after being away. I asked him, are the kids excited about Third Eye Blind? Have you been playing them their stuff? And he goes... No, they don't really know who Third Eye Blind is. <laughs> They're more excited for Loud Luxury and Jesse Reyes. And I was like, oh shit. He's like, yeah, we've been playing them. They're, uh, they're you know, they're greatest hits, but uh, it hasn't really latched on to them just yet. So we'll see what kind of response Third Eye Blind gets tonight. I'm just picturing uh, they walk, they take the stage. Some kid's like, what is that? They're like, this, this is called a guitar. Have you never seen a guitar before? <laughs> Did for a while uh, Steve Jenkins play a double guitar? Like, for, like, Never Let You Go? Wasn't he do doing, like, a double guitar? Uh, I don't know if it was a double. I think it was a 12-string. I think. Yeah, I could be like wrong. Yeah, like, 12-string on top and the 6-string at the at the bottom. No, no I, think, I think he was only playing this, the... The twelve string, unless he, maybe oh, it was okay. just for the video, because I think you're right. I think he did yeah, have it in yeah. the uh, in the video. That, that's a neat thing to see. There's for only the first one time. man that double can rock guitar. the double. But there's one there's man, who can, one man that can rock it. Who? Aaron Barrett from Real Big Fish. Oh yeah, he always plays a double guitar, which is yeah. <laughs> odd and scum music. You don't really need a I, double guitar. But I know. <laughs> there's lots of glitz and glam that go into a, a nice uh, double guitar. Well, I like how it. Uh, what's it called? And uh, I love you, man. Uh, Paul Rudd was playing like uh, uh, not a double bass, is in a stand-up bass, but a double bass is in a two-armed bass. You're glitching and glitching all over the place. I just oh, heard Paul Rudd, they, and then yeah, because in I love you, man, he had the two-armed bass, and he's whacking it with a drumstick. I thought that was a regular it. bass. That was a dude had two arms, so I think one was like a four-string bass. And oh, the, other, oh. the other arm might have been a guitar. I've seen that before. Where that's you get weird. one arm that's a bass, one arm that's a guitar. Actually, Warren Haynes from Government Mule, getting back at the jam band, he put out a custom a custom, uh, a double arm bass uh, in honor of Alan Woody, their original uh, bassist, that one arm was a four-string bass, the other arm was a mandolin. That's cool. 
Yeah, so you get weird combinations sometimes if you're a real guitar head, which I'm not. String instruments and me do not go along well. I just... If the dude, that's uh, what's his name? Not Peter Hook, because that's the guy from uh, jo- uh, Joey Division and New Order, but... Uh, Are you talking about Dr. Hook? Oh, no, Peter Buck. Sorry, that's the guy from oh, R.E.M. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, from R.E.M. If he, if he was a bass one, he could love that, because he plays the mandolin, but he's a guitar player. So well, if they have a guitar player with mandolin, a guitar and a yeah. mandolin, <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of different ways to go about it, but I don't know. But man, we really got off. Dude, there's our first time getting off track today, talking about double guitars. You know those tires that are like (laughs) (laughs) more rubber stamps. We both thought the same thing. I love it. (laughs) Well, that's going to do it for this episode. Uh, We put a wrap on April Wine. I think that we can agree that they are one of the more seminal bands of our history. But uh, look more for their first like ten albums because the back half, although uh, what's called roughly speaking, is a nice uh, diamond in the rough. Yeah. Um, Next week, I mean. Skip the first album. It's a pull of Campbell. Skip the first album, listen to the next seven, <laughs> skip the next three, and listen to the last one. That's whenever our friend Mike pitches a TV show, he he's oddly honest about it when, like, you know, most people just say, it's a good show, check it out. They're not all diamonds, but whatever. Mike's like, you know... Watch the first episode so you know what's going on. Skip the next six, but it ends with a bang. The next four episodes. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, what are you, an idiot? You'll be totally lost when you go into that episode, but trust me, it's really good. <laughs> yeah. Just come to me and I'll tell you the spoilers. <laughs> yeah. uh, what's it called? Uh, there will, I'm, I'm letting everyone know. There will be a delay before our next episode. As I am on the verge of becoming a father. And that is going to be stressful. And so I've started the script for Jack Soul. Hopefully, I'm going to get the script for Jack Soul finished uh, by before the baby comes. But we'll have to see. I've only listened to one of his albums. I really liked it. Um, but um, what's it called? Yes, we're doing Jack Soul, Hayden Neal, the late, great Hayden Neal, and his soulful, soulful tones. We're going to dive into some good old R&B on the next episode of Canada FF. Um, anything else you'd like to add today? I'm good, unless you got any more government mule tidbits. Check out Banks of the Deep End. It's their best song. I love it. It'll be your it'll be your new favorite too. Yeah, there's my government mule plug. Um, okay, so we found out that we had 66 people download the Norm McDonald tribute. Uh, hopefully, we keep those numbers r- moving up. I know it pales in comparison to people like if I could just get to 300,000. If we can crack that audience, they they want to crack like six, like millions. We want to crack triple digits. If we can hit a hundred, oh, we're actually up to sixty (laughs) nine. Hey, there's the magic number. Oh, we're up to sixty nine. We are. It updated. In the in the course of this recording, it went up three. (laughs) Look at that. Hold on, let me because Bryn shared it. Hey, Bryn, three more downloads for Norm Macdonald since you shared your post. Thanks, babe. There you go. All right. So we're, yes, we're still a ways away from getting calls about you know representing me undies or uh, blue chew or whatever <laughs> or manscaped, but uh, maybe one yeah. day. What was it? There was used to be a coffee brand that Mark Marin used to always do, and whenever he promoted it, he'd take a sip of the coffee and go, "Pow! I just shit my pants." Ugh, <laughs> Every time that's such a plug. <laughs> 
don't like Mark Maron. He's just, he has, you know, you want to talk about punchable faces. Your brother's always talking about, oh, Ben Shapiro, punchable face. Yeah, I don't disagree. Mark Maron has a very punchable face. What? He's just got a big mustache. No, he just, he looks like some basset hound, just like depressed all the time. He's like, like, why am I even like, you know, I'm, like, I'm not, I don't want to take anything away from people with mental health issues or anything, but just get out of my face. You're such a dink. He just looks he, like he doesn't enjoy anything. <laughs> Except I, when you're shitting on Rogan. He seemed to I, enjoy I, that. I, I strive to have the mustache he has. Yeah, if I could grow a mustache, I would love it. But my mom said she wouldn't let me in the house. <laughs> she, she hates facial hair. <laughs> hey, I'm going to do one November this year. But again, when I... Like you can see, i got the beard going right now. It's just, it's, yeah. it's, I don't have enough space between my nose and mouth. You know, when you get guys like Mary, they got a lot of space. When you get that real estate between your nose and mouth, that's when you can have a great mustache. Well, I think so much more. Yeah, yours would just be like uh, it'd be overcrowded. Well, instead of having a nice full one, it looked like it would just be like. Have you seen those like maps of the human face? As in what like a perfect face looks like? They got all those lines and stuff like that. Have you ever seen that? I'm living it. going to say is for my facial faults i think my nose to mouth distance is pretty adequate it's not too big it's not too small it's average yeah okay well, you you idiots Hence always point out my facial an faults. Average mustache <laughs> no, your facial faults is just that you got a big head with tiny features <laughs> and a perfectly triangular mouth <laughs> You look like a South Park character when you smile. <laughs> oh God! Yeah, there you go. Thankfully, this is an audio, uh, an audio uh, medium. So I need to no start carrying to around. A, what we're talking about. I need to uh, start carrying around a fan like a shy Japanese girl, so I can just cover my triangular mouth. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't know. You know, we are in the middle of a pandemic, and a mask would uh, would suit that uh, need. That's so anyway. True. Um, all right, that's the episode. Follow us on uh, Spotify. Uh, give us a five star review because we are five star men on uh, the old <laughs> Apple Music. I say that every week and you laugh every time. It's just because I'm picturing Dennis doing it. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, what's the other thing that we do? Oh, Instagram. Uh, yeah, follow yeah. us on the IG. And uh, that's a show. That's a show. You think that? That's a show. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm Ted. I'm Brian. It's getting out out. <laughs> I uh, I want to end it like Norm did at the end of Dirty Work. All right, that's it. Bye. <laughs> and those uh, gangsters, uh, <laughs> he they paid beat his gambling him. debts, uh, but those gangsters beat him to death anyway. So he's, so he's dead. dead. <laughs> <laughs>